Our gospel passage today comes out of Matthew 24, 36 through 44. If you are anticipating a text about a baby, not happening. Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking, beginning at verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill one will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of a house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Well, welcome to Advent. The word Advent literally means coming or arrival. And the season of Advent is actually the first of the church year. Today is the, so happy new year, everyone. The advent is, in the church year is where Jesus Christ is celebrated, the fact that he came to earth, but also that his second advent is anticipated with hope. Overall, themes of Advent are God's self-revelation in the historical person of Jesus who we proclaim to be Christ. The present reconciliation of God available to all of us who confess and the completion of his reconciling work in the future when the consummation we long for becomes reality. There is, of course, great diversity in how different traditions might envision the second coming. Indeed, even diversity within these traditions as well. I am a lifelong Nazarene. I did not grow up in a church that celebrated Advent. Even some of you still think this is weird. Overall, it's a time of the year when we recognize our longing for God, our thirst for more of Christ through his spirit, our hunger for righteousness, and our dependency 
as we wait for something more. Christians share a common hope that there will come a day when all things will be made new, when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away and the new will come in its fulfillment. As a Christian season, different nuances have waxed and waned through the centuries about Advent. At different junctures in different traditions, the judgment of God and a accompanying Lent-like introspection has been emphasized, with sin and repentance being at the forefront. At other points, in other contexts, the more vibrant themes of hope, peace, joy, and love have been the focus, as they will be for us this season. While we should be reminded of our need for faithfulness and holiness throughout the year, in light of God's coming the positive fruits of salvation are also always pertinent to a growing life in Christ. But the season of Advent is to be unique in that it is intentional and paradoxical with its focus both on the past and the future. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good through God's self-giving love, evidenced by the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. But he did ascend. And so we say one day, beginning at the day of the Lord, we will feast in God's presence and that eternally. And so the question for Advent overall, really, is how will we live? How will we, we live in the meantime, in the in-between time of the two Advents of Jesus Christ? There is more to do than just look at a past historical event or even a future not yet fulfilled. There is a now that beckons our response as our gospel text has told us. But first, I want to congratulate you on being here. Not just because it's a rainy day and it was oh so tempting to turn over in bed, but I want to congratulate you because being here on the first Sunday of Advent, you are being extraordinarily countercultural. Ordinary, extraordinarily countercultural. So, congratulations. You see, the secular world, if you haven't noticed, does Christmas differently. The secular world has entered the Christmas season already. 
It was even like after Halloween this year that we started seeing Christmas all around us. The secular world has already entered the Christmas season. I have a very good friend who is a very good Christian, but every year around November 1st or so, something descends on her. She's a mother of lots of children, lots of grandchildren. All these presents need to be bought, cookies need to be made, decorations need to go up, the tree has to be decorated, Christmas cards have to go out, and you can just almost see it envelop her. Stress. None of you are like that, I'm sure. <laughs> Actually, I have great compassion for women during these days because as we all know, women do all of that. <laughs> but you are here counterculturally by saying no to the instant gratification by opening yourself up to the idea of waiting. Waiting for the celebration of a birth in four weeks' time. And waiting for that same Christ to return to us again. And so, we will follow Pastor Ryan, who won't let us sing Christmas carols too soon. There's a reason. Get on board. No nasty emails to Pastor Ryan. <laughs> it is traditional on the first week of Advent to talk about the second coming of Jesus. And in our gospel text this morning, Jesus himself takes us there. It is not a difficult passage in terms of interpretation, a small parable, easy to understand, and Jesus' message is this, no one knows the hour of his return. Not even Jesus. It's a wonder that people continue to predict the end of the world <laughs> as if they're better than Jesus. Just saying. We are to wait, but our waiting is not to be lazy. There is a sense of watching, of preparedness, of attentiveness, of faithfulness, of readiness, lest we be fooled by thinking that we still have time to get our act together, just like those not saved from the flood. Jesus tells us, in the end, those who are not ready will not be saved in the end. And so, be attentive, be faithful, be ready, watch, 
and wait. The second coming of Jesus is one of the most controversial aspects of the whole of Christian theology. In case you didn't know it, there are lots of different understandings or ideas about what will happen when Jesus comes. We have traditions that preach premillennialism. Try to spell it, it's hard. Premillennialists, although they have lots of specific doctrines, basically what they're saying is that the world is getting worse and worse and worse until the point where the Son of Man must break in and save us. And then there are the post-millennialists who believe that the world is getting better and better. The world is getting better and better when the church acts like the church. And so post-millennialists believe that God is waiting for the church to transform culture to the place that Jesus will be welcomed. If you want to know the best example of post-millennialism, it is our sister denomination, our Salvation Army friends. Most people don't even know it's a denomination or that they meet on Sunday mornings for worship. The world knows the Salvation Army for doing good in society. And when the church is the church, Christ will come again. Amillennialism. I was raised with amillennialist parents. And what is amillennialism? That the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth is just poetic. It talks about the time between the first and the second advent. And then there is dispensationalism, which I do not have time today to talk about all its craziness. When the Church of the Nazarene began, there were several groups from different parts of the country that joined together in 1908 at Pilot Point, Texas for a merger. They were of one heart and mind, particularly about the meaning of holiness of heart and life. But different Groups believed different things about the last days and how they will play out, what to do. I have to confess that I got really excited this week, really excited, when Pastor Brent showed me something, the kind of excitement that only a super nerd of theology and history would understand. 
I don't expect you to be as excited. That's okay. He showed me a copy of the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene manual from 1911. It's like this big in its simplicity. Here is what it says about the second coming. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will return to judge the quick and the dead that we who are alive at his coming shall not precede them that are asleep in Christ Jesus. But that if we are abiding in him, we will be caught up with the risen saints to meet the Lord in the air so that we shall ever be with the Lord. But it continues. We do not, however, regard the numerous theories that gather around this biblical doctrine of the second coming as essential to salvation. And so we concede full liberty of belief among our members. Those are good words. We purposely do not require you to believe anything specific about how the end of the world will come about. It's because it's in the realm of what we call speculative theology. And Wesleyans are not much interested in speculative theology because it does not directly affect our salvation or our sanctification. What we do believe is that Jesus is coming again. And thanks be to God, Jesus is coming again. It is what we long for. Longing is hard to define, but we certainly know it when we feel it. In the online dictionary that I went to, there are 169 synonyms for longing. None of them quite do it justice. Desire, craving, thirst, hunger, yearning, passion, appetite, pining, itch, wish, drive, hankering, love, compulsion, zeal, impulse, need, eagerness, impatience, mania. <laughs> See, you thought I was gonna read all 169. <laughs> Longing goes beyond definition, I think, because it lives in our gut and not in our minds. Longing rep recognizes that something is missing, something is incomplete, something is just not right, or something should just not be the way that it is. This should not be. Longing shows us our neediness, our vulnerability, our lack, our hollowness, our brokenness, 
and it is a sensation that we would rather keep at bay. And so we distract ourselves and numb ourselves and busy ourselves into oblivion. Longing hurts. What is it that we long for? Forgive me for not um, keeping this light. I think we long for more than just lunch today. We long for the end of destruction, of wars and rumors of wars, or a failing earth we are leaving our children. We long for the end of all kinds of suffering, illnesses of mind, of emotions, of soul, of body. We long for the end of loss of loved ones, the end of the loss of our dreams sometimes. We long for the end of chaos that threatens always to command our life. We long for the end of toil, of grasping and never reaching. And we long for the end of meaninglessness. Ecclesiastes, of course, is the book that we go to that is known for saying in the beginning and at the end that everything is meaningless. Meaninglessness, lots of different translations. It can mean smoke. Smoke that we cannot grasp. Life can feel like that sometimes. We long. It is a state of being. But we, my friends, are Christian, which means we do not despair, which is the sickness unto death. We hope, we long with hope. In the next three weeks, we will celebrate the gifts we are given in light of Christ coming to us. Peace and joy, that's the pink one, and love. But today, hope. Interesting, unlike the other gifts, hope is not really a noun. It's a verb. It's an action. It is the energy that fills our longing with things yet seen. In hope, our longing is bearable. In hope, our longing is comforted. If you go to the 
closing chapters of the Gospel of John, we find Jesus with his disciples in the upper room. And he begins to make it clear what will happen next. His arrest, his suffering, and his death. But there he begins to talk about what is comforting. But one of the most comforting phrases in all of those chapters in the upper room is this, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send another who will come to you and who will be with you. In hope our longing is comforted because we are Christian. In the article of faith that I read to you a moment ago in the 1911 manual, it ends with this line. We are to comfort each other with these words. Longing in light of the second coming of Jesus comforts us in the in-between. And we are to comfort each other and remind each other that this will not be the last word. I think you've heard that somewhere before. And so what do we believe? In light of the second coming of Jesus, we believe when the kingdom comes and the king arrives, we will find the fullness of the eternal life that we experience now. Eternal life does not begin at the second coming of Jesus. Your eternal life begins the moment that you receive Christ as your own. But in those days when Jesus returns, that sense of the eternal life of God will be fulfilled, my friends. When the kingdom comes, we will find the culmination of our healing. We will find wholeness. When the kingdom comes, we will find our purpose fulfilled. We will bear the image of Christ perfectly because we will see him as he is and we will bear the image of Christ relationally when all the sin that destroys relationships is put to death forever. When the kingdom comes, we will find fullness and vitality and joy unspeakable. And we will participate in a new creation, literally, a new heaven and a new earth 
In Romans chapter 8, we are told that even the creation itself is longing for redemption. John Wesley wrote a great sermon called The Great Deliverance where he said that our new earth will be filled with animals and the cows will talk back to us. <laughs> oh, for that day. <laughs> but literally, a new, pristine, perfect earth in which we will indwell forever. And when the kingdom comes and the king returns, we with new bodies will be in the bodily presence of Jesus. <sighs> what a glorious thought. In the meantime, in the in-between time, we wait, we watch with diligence, but also in the meantime, we are not abandoned, we are not orphaned, we are gifted. And one of the greatest gifts that Jesus has given to us is the opportunity to practice and practice and practice again the bodily presence of Jesus. In the early church, it envisioned the new heaven and the new earth in terms of a meal, a feast, Why would they envision it that way? Because many lived without enough food. A feast. And the early church took the Lord's Supper in the midst of a meal. The words that we use to bring our minds and hearts to communion come out of Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. Paul is not really pleased with the 1 Corinthians or the 2 Corinthians or the 3rd or the 4th or the 5th. Not pleased. And one of the things that he is arguing with them about, particularly in the midst of the Lord's Supper, is that the rich are eating and the poor are going hungry at the church potluck. Ministers have misinterpreted this text, actually doing damage upon people because they have preached it that if you are not right with God, if you are not holy, if you are not blameless, if there is sin in your life, don't you dare take the Lord's Supper unworthily. 
hogwash. Those are the very conditions which prepare us for receiving whatsoever grace we need. And so today in the in-between time, we practice with each other a feast and we acknowledge God's presence with us now. And we anticipate the great day when we will literally sit down with each other and down with the Lord and eat and sup and be filled for all eternity. For that, all the people said, Amen. I'll ask those who are going to help us with communion to come forward at this time. symbol of the bodily presence of Jesus who is with us today. And so let's pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and the cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit and in your church, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever.
he gave himself up for us. Our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said this, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink all of this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts, O Christ, we offer ourselves in praise 
and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us, we proclaim our faith. And here it is. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Would you stand with us? We worship together. Angels from the realms of glory wing your flight o'er all the earth. These new sang creation story now proclaim Messiah's birth. So come and worship. Come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. We sing, shepherds in the fields abiding, watching o'er your flocks by night. God with man is now residing, yonder shines the infant light. So come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. We sing Emmanuel, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. You are the God who saves us, who's worthy of all our praises. Welcome you here, Lord Jesus. God is good. Receive the benediction out of the book of 1 Corinthians, because even though Paul had his issues, he still says this. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed 
he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Come and worship, worship 